Thankful for his love, amen? God's good and he's faithful and he's kind. Um, we're so glad that you're here. Who's ready for turkey on Thursday? All right. Turkey gets people excited. Who's the guy that's got to have the leg? Who's that guy? All right. There's one right there. The rest of you are pointing at him, right? Got to have that leg. Well, as we approach Thanksgiving this Thursday, I pray that you and your family will just have a wonderful time together as you gather with people that you love and celebrate the goodness and the blessings of God. And don't forget, while you're devouring all of that wonderful food, don't forget who provides for you every single day. And we're blessed people, aren't we? We're a very blessed people, and so don't, don't forget who gives you those blessings. Well, we're in week three of this three-week series, and if you're catching on, that means we're wrapping this one up. Uh, we have spent three weeks now, beginning t- uh, with today, uh, talking about origins, where we came from, really with this huge question, where did we come from? It's so important for us to think about that and to process that and to learn from that as we think about why we do some of the things we do today, why we experience some of the things that we experience today, in particular, why the world's in such a mess. And so as we look back at the original story in Genesis of the first man and the first woman of Adam and Eve, we learn so very, very much. So just to recap really quick, and if you missed either one of these weeks, week one or week two, you can go onto our app or online and you can listen. But as we looked at Adam and Eve in that first week that we looked at, We looked at the perfection that they experienced. And when we talk about perfection, there's so many beautiful things that we could talk about. But the two big things about the first portion of their life here on this earth is that every single day, they got to be in the presence of God. And when I say be in the presence of God, they got to walk with him and they got to talk with him. What an experience they must have had just strolling along through the garden every single morning. And also in that perfection is something that was not there. There was no sin, there was no evil, no corruption. Can you imagine? No need for CNN, no need for Fox, everything going just the way that it should. And that's what they experienced. Then things rocked along and we looked in Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to look at that again this morning. But we see the fall. We see Adam and Eve choosing to disobey the one rule, only one rule that God gave them. And they chose to disobey it. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of that decision, sin came into the picture in our world. The fall, as we refer to it, happened. It was a fall that took place for Adam and Eve. And as a result of that decision, all through our fathers has been passed down this nature that's ugly. And we don't like to talk about it. We would like to wish that it didn't exist, but it does. And it's called the sin nature. It's the reason why nobody had to teach me how to sin and nobody had to teach you how to sin. You know, when you have those little ones that are beautiful and they're precious and before long they're doing stuff, and you're like, why are they doing that, right? It's just, it's just in us. It's in us. We have this propensity to do what is wrong so many times in our life. And this all goes back to Adam and the fall and this nature that we have. And so this is where we find ourselves today, and this is where I hope that this story can gain more traction and have more impact on your life as you think about how we are struggling in our lives personally with sin and how we are in our culture and in our world struggling with evil and all of the impact that it has upon our life, 
upon our families, upon our culture, and our community. So again, this question, where did we come from, is so very important as we think about where we came from. So as we think about Adam and Eve, I would suggest to you that we have some advantages that they didn't have. Now, we definitely didn't get to walk and talk with God like they did. We didn't get to experience life with no evil. But there are some things that we know now that they didn't know then that we should take advantage of and learn from and grow from so that we don't have to repeat some things over and over in our lives. This is going to sound really strange, but we know something now in our lives that Adam and Eve didn't know early on. It definitely could be looked at as an advantage or disadvantage, but given where we are in our world today after the fall, I would say it's an advantage. We know what evil is. When they took of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't even have a reference point on what evil was. They didn't know what the word meant, much less the destruction and chaos that it would bring. But you and I, we know what sin is, right? We know what evil is. We know what the impact is that sin can have on our lives. We've seen the death. We've seen the decay. We've seen the destruction that ultimately is the result of sin. Another thing that we know today, and I'm speaking mainly today, let me tell you this, I'm I'm talking mainly today to believers, to Christians, and if you're not a Christian, man, you can benefit from everything that we're talking about today, but believers, you really need to lean in. This stuff is huge for us. These are things that we know, things that we should know, and things that we should remember as we go throughout our walking and following of Jesus. But another thing that we know is that Satan is real, and that he is our enemy. Um, In our disciples' path, we're going through a course called Rooted, and many of you are in that on different days of the week, and it's just great. One of the number one things that has kind of risen to the top in all of the conversations we've been having in Rooted is how everybody is either being reminded of or realizing or becoming more aware of the truth that Satan is real and that he's active in our world and in our lives today. Satan wants you to think he doesn't exist he wants you to think of that mythical creature that's kind of got a pitchfork and a, you know, a horny tail. And like, you know, he's just kind of there with those things on his head. And, you know, he doesn't really exist. And he's just a cartoon. And yet he's real. And he's powerful. And he's against us. We today, we know about Jesus. Adam and Eve, they got to walk and they got to talk with God. What an experience that was. But they didn't know about the Savior that was to come. And yet we can look back and we can read about Jesus. We know that he died for our sin and for their sin, and for their sin, and for everybody else's sin. And as we sing about today, that he came back from the dead. We have the word of God. We have brothers and sisters in Christ to learn from and to lean on. And if you've got a brother or a sister who is following Jesus alongside you, someone that has also placed their faith in Christ, and they are doing their best with God's help to follow Jesus as you are following Jesus This week of Thanksgiving, that is one thing you definitely should tell God thank you for. Because you get to learn from them. You get to lean on them. And it's a gift from God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what we get to experience in church. Well, one thing that coaches always do, and it's particular in the sport of football, is they watch a lot of game film. They spend tons and tons and tons and tons of time watching game film. 
If you have a coach in your family, you wonder what's wrong with them, right? Because it seems like all they ever do is watch game film. Why do coaches spend so much time, energy, watching game film? Because they are wanting to learn about their enemy, if you will, the one they're going to oppose. They're wanting to learn more about themselves, and they're wanting to learn from others. And if there's three things that I want to encourage you to do, and I believe they're in your notes, you need to study your enemy. You need to know who is against you. You need to know that Satan is real and that he is against you. Know who your enemy is. Know who you're going up against. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let him sneak up on you. Know and study your enemy. The other thing is to study yourself. I have tendencies. You have tendencies. I have weaknesses. You have weaknesses. I have some strengths. You have strengths. We need to know what those are so that as we go throughout life, we can be prepared for what is coming our way. And then learn from others. Adam and Eve, we're going to look at their story this morning. We're going to learn a little bit more from them. If you've got friends, they don't even have to be believers for you to learn from them. You've got morons who are friends, right? You do. You've got some morons, right? They're your friend, and they make stupid decision after stupid decision after stupid decision. Learn from them how not to make stupid decisions, right? Recognize the chaos in their life and say, man, I don't, I don't want that. And we don't want that for them either, right? So we want to learn from that and allow God to change us, allow God to change them. You've got some people in your life who love the Lord, who trust the Lord, who are following the Lord. They're learning from Jesus, and they're talking to you, and they're having conversations with you. Potentially, they're discipling you. And learn from them and soak that up, people that have made it in their following of Jesus. There's two things we want to be really, really clear on here, clear here at HC. One is this. God loves you deeply. God loves you deeply. And when I say those words, there is no bottom to the depth of his love. God loves you deeply. And when I say God loves you, I don't mean he loves just the Sunday morning version of you. He loves every single part of who you are. He sees all of the weaknesses. He sees all of the sin. He sees all the sorrow. He sees all the pain. He sees all the triumph. He sees all the weaknesses. He sees everything about you. And he says to you, I love you. And God didn't just say he loved us. He proved it. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin. He loves you deeply. The second thing I want you to know really clearly is this. Satan hates you and wants to destroy you. Satan hates you and wants to destroy you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Scripture says, stay alert, eyes open, head on a swivel, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, also known as Satan, also known as Lucifer, also known as the serpent in the story of Adam and Eve, all one and the same, your enemy, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We've all watched the National Geographic show, right? We've seen those lions getting ready to pounce. 
That's what he's doing. He's constantly waiting on you to be unaware, to be completely not ready for him to sneak up on you and to devour you. That's what he wants to do. Satan wants to destroy me. Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Satan wants to destroy your character. Satan wants to destroy your family. He wants you to fall, and he wants you to fall hard. So again, this reminder that Satan is real is so very, very important. So today, I want us to focus for just a little bit on our enemy and how he focus, uh, excuse me, and how he functions in our life. Greater than that, I want you to function on the one who loves us, whose name is God. So for just a moment, let's think about Satan, how real he is, how powerful he is, how smooth, how sly that he is to work in and through our lives. There's one word that I think that describes best um, how Satan functions in our life most. It starts with a T, and it's the word temptation. We all know that word. We all experience that word every day in our lives. You're tempted, I'm tempted, our spouses are tempted, our kids are tempted, our grandkids are tempted. Your grandparents, believe it or not, they were tempted too. We've all experienced it on a regular basis. And it's Satan's number one tool at tripping you up and tripping me up and causing us to fall and causing us to not continue to be able to follow Jesus. I want to give you a couple things about temptation that are really important, a couple truths, okay? First one's this, temptation is a certainty, Temptation is a certainty. When you woke up this morning, you should have just expected that today you are going to be tempted. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you should wake up knowing today I am going to be tempted. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus. You need to know that Satan is going to tempt you any way and every way that he can to derail you from being like Jesus. Here's the thing. I think a lot of you in this room are struggling, listen to me, struggling with temptation. And I want to tell you, that's actually a good thing. Because if you're not struggling with it, we have to assume you're just kind of going with it, right? So a lot of us in this room, we're struggling with it. We're trying to fight it. We're trying to say no to it. Some of us in this room, we've just decided, you know what? I want that. I really don't care. When the temptation comes, I'm going to take it because I want it so bad. What a dangerous way to live and to be. Someone once said, if you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil lately, you might be headed in the same direction. Okay? So if you're following Jesus, he's after you. If you're attempting to be like Christ, he's trying to take you down and trying to take you out. For some of you in the room, you're experiencing temptation more than ever. Let me tell you why, for some of you. For some of you, you've just begun to follow Jesus. You've recently placed your faith in him, and you're beginning to follow him. Before you hadn't placed your faith in Jesus, Satan was fine with who you were. Satan was fine with the fact that your sins hadn't been forgiven. He was fine with the fact that one of these days you're going to spend eternity with him in a place called hell. He was great with that. Then you decided to ask Jesus to forgive you and that you were going to follow him, and you made that decision, and now all of a sudden there's a target on your back. You're like, where did this come from? Again, Satan is your enemy, but God loves you so deeply, and he is so for you, and he wants you to be aware of how he can destroy your life in this day, through sin, he wants to protect you. He wants to protect you. But it's a certainty. It's a certainty. 
as you're growing, some of you are now beginning to serve and you're beginning to give and you're beginning to do things that believers do. Satan's starting to focus on you. Be prepared. As you grow in your faith, temptation is going to come. Some would say it this way, new levels like growth, new levels bring new devils. That's really encouraging, right? I think it's truth. And sometimes we've got to know the truth. Be reminded, believers, just as certain as temptation is, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. You have a power and access to God that the rest of the world doesn't have, and you can overcome it. Temptation is a certainty. Another thing about temptation is important. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. Sometimes we think, ooh, I was tempted, and we feel guilty, and we feel bad, and we feel wrong. Temptation is not a sin. I experience it, you experience it, your neighbor experiences it, even Jesus experienced temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Again, if you're struggling with temptation, praise God. That means the Holy Spirit is at work within you right now. The Holy Spirit saying, no, that's wrong, don't do that. And you're hearing the voice of God in your life, and you're like, should I or shouldn't I? Do I listen to God or do I not listen to God? I pray that you'll listen to him because he knows what's best for you. Well, let's look at some game film, if you will, from Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to reread what we read last week. And again, if you missed last week, man, I want to encourage you to go and, and listen in to what um, we were able to talk about. But I want to reread this, and I want to show you some things that we can learn from in this story when it comes to temptation. You and I facing sin. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent, who we eventually know as being Satan, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he, Satan, the devil, your enemy, my enemy, asked the woman, did God really say, do you see the doubt that's beginning to be cast already? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Verse 2, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, the serpent, Satan, devil, our enemy. He says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. I want to pause right there. There's so much I could say as we're reading through this. Sin is always attractive. It just is. She saw it. It looked great. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree from eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman 
you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Do you see what's happening? It doesn't stop. It's reciprocated. Look at verse number 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Man, isn't that how we react so many times when we get caught in our sin? We'll throw anybody under the bus, won't we? I mean, anybody. If it can get the attention off of us, if it can get the consequences away from us, if it can get the conviction off of us, our conscience to feel better, anything, throw them under the bus. And so we see the blame game begin with just intensity. Some things that were planted from the deceiver, from the tempter, from our enemy, Satan, were things like, no one has the right to tell you what to do. You ever thought that one? You ever heard that one? You ever had somebody say that to you to embolden you to do something that was stupid, something that was sinful, something that was wrong, maybe pleasurable, but in the end was going to bring consequences. Nobody has the right to tell you what to do. Satan also planted this thought in their mind. Let me, let me give you another way to think about this. Let me give you a different viewpoint on this. And he began to cast doubt. He emboldened them as he encouraged them that they were free to do whatever they wanted to do. This other thought that was a lie. It was this lie that God doesn't want you to have any fun. You ever wrestle with that one? Yeah. We think, that's like a, we think that's like a teenager, young adult kind of thing, and yet there are some grown people in this room who know way better than that, and they know that's a lie, and you're still wrestling with that same lie, with the decisions that you make. Well, I think God's just holding out on me. I think God doesn't want me to have that because he doesn't want me to enjoy good things when it's sinful and it's going to lead to destruction. And then this one, mm, it may be the one that tops them all. It's this idea that you can get away with it. If I think that I can do something, whatever it is, and it's not going to bring me any negative consequences, I'm much more likely to do it. Am I correct? And the moment I begin to convince myself, and Satan helps me get convinced, that I can do whatever it is, and it could be a small thing, it could be a huge thing, it could be a really obvious no-no thing, or maybe more subtle kind of no-no thing, but when I become convinced, you know what, I can do this, experience what I want from it, and experience no consequences, we find ourselves going headlong into it. And those are some of the lies that he used in talking to Adam and Eve, in particular Eve, and they bought in. Be careful. Be careful. So this is some of the game film. By the way, we searched around. We found some more game film that we want to show you right now. Adam, does this goat skin make me look big? Looks better on you than the previous owner. What? I'm having a hard time losing these last few pounds and sparing your children and that's the best you can do? I look better than a goat? Thanks. Babe, you know you are the most beautiful woman on the planet. What? I'm the only woman on the planet. Well, I can't help that. You know, and it's amazing that as the only woman on the planet, you still can't seem to remember my birthday or give me flowers once in a while. Well, I did give you a rib. Oh, right. I forgot about that since you haven't mentioned it for an hour. It's like you're 
free pass to never lift a finger for me again. Never lift a finger? I am out there busting my rear all day. Food just doesn't pop up from the ground. I have to get it with the sweat of my brow since someone went and got the ground cursed. You think farming's hard? Try raising those kids. Try giving birth. Well, if someone wouldn't have taken advice from a talking reptile. Oh, here we go. Are you talking to me, little snake? What? Oh, jump off a bridge? Oh, I would, but they haven't been invented yet. Oh, eat this fruit? Well, you look like a pretty trustworthy snake. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, well, we were until you went and pretty much ruined it for all of mankind, so good job with that. I seem to remember you taking a bite, too. Well, I thought I was eating from the tree of the knowledge of restfulness and serenity. Right. It's never your fault. Besides, what was I going to do with a fallen wife? That would just be weird. Oh, you fell for me? You're an idiot. Idiot? I named every single animal. Right. Great job with that. A, a prairie dog's not a dog, a seahorse isn't a horse, and a bald eagle isn't bald. Well, I was going pretty fast. Aardvark? Platypus? Okay, they were at the back of the line. Not everything can be cat or rat or bat. Hippopotamus? Yeah, well, woman was taken. Okay, how many gorge do you have back there? That was a joke. Not good for men to be alone. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, a little bit of flesh on that story, right? I'm telling you, when they sinned, chaos ensued. If you don't believe me, read chapter 4 and chapter 5. I think we read this story and we think about a couple of fictional characters who left the garden and everything kind of went back to normal. No, everything went haywire. Maybe it kind of sounded a little bit like our homes from time to time, right? Mm, surely not. That's what sin does. It brings death and it brings decay and it brings destruction into our lives. Things went from perfection to chaos so quickly. And it started with temptation. It started with temptation. Again, we begin to think that God's holding out on us. We start to believe that there's a sin that we can get away with. We find ourselves thinking that something else can satisfy us. It all comes down to what we listen to who we believe, and what or who we focus on. I want you to get this big idea today, and that is this. As Christians, okay, as Christians, we say no to temptation when we say yes to Jesus. We say no to temptation when we say yes to Jesus. So if you're struggling with temptation, you're dealing with temptation, and you are, the way that we've got to deal with temptation in saying no to it is going to something greater and something more wonderful and something more powerful and consistently finding ourselves saying yes to Jesus. In this story in Genesis, the reason why they said yes to temptation is they decided, you know what, we don't think God's got what we need. I'm going to say no to him today, and I'm going to say yes to this. I think he's holding out on me. I'm going for something better than God today. And they said no to God, and they said yes to temptation, and we find ourselves in the position that we're in. Well, for just a moment, we're doing kind of a weird moment right now, but it's a cool moment. There are some people in this room that have recently said yes to Jesus. 
And then today they have decided to go public with their faith and say yes to Jesus by following him in baptism. So they're going to get up and start heading out right now. Encourage them out with just a, an applause as they're going to get ready for baptism. We're so proud of them. And they're going to pop up from there and there and everywhere. I said yes to Jesus. You say no to temptation when you say yes to Jesus. Look with me now to James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, and remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. And I want you to catch on to that part for just a second and think about that. It comes from our own desires. Why are our desires all messed up? Because the story that we've been reading about Adam and Eve and this nature that we have called the sin nature. It says these desires of our own which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to, say it with me, it gives birth to, that word needs to be powerfully real for us today. When we start saying, I'm just going to go with what I crave and what I desire in and of myself, which is sin, it's going to bring forth death. The reason why you physically die is because of sin. The reason why we have spiritual death is because of sin. The reason why we have relationships that die is because of sin. Sin brings forth all of the chaos in this world. And when we choose to say yes to temptation and yes to sin, we create more chaos and havoc in our world. And Jesus came to set us free from sin. It's the reason why he died on the cross and came back from the dead, so that we could be free. Look now, verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Do you hear the heart? Do you hear the love of James as he's writing to God's people? So don't be misled. Because if you do, it's going to bring about destruction and death in your life. Question for you to consider. What are the desires in your heart that lead you astray? What are the desires in your heart that lead you astray? Maybe for some of you right now, you're thinking about chocolate, right? Maybe that's a thing for you. It just lures you away. But for the rest of us, we're probably thinking about like harder, uglier things, right? Your thing might not appeal to me, and my thing might not appeal to you, but we better know our thing. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's gossip. That's a fun one, huh? God says he hates it, by the way. Maybe it's a controlling substance that numbs you to the reality that you live in. Or maybe on the flip side of that, you're actually a control freak, and that lures you in. How do you know somebody's a control freak? Just watch family pictures at Thanksgiving this week. We will reveal ourselves. Right? That was a weird little laugh right there. This stuff's real, right? 
And if we allow our desires to take over and we're finding ourselves saying yes to them over and over again, we are bringing forth chaos into our lives. You've got to know what your desires and tendencies are or it will kill you. When are you weak? You need to ask yourself this question. When am I weak? I'll give you two areas or times that most of us are weak, that most of us have have in common. Most of us are weak when we're tired. And tired can mean physically tired. Tired can mean emotionally tired. Tired can mean, man, I just did great things for God. You know, like after a big event, like amplify. If you're not careful, you find yourself kind of tired. And Satan knows that and he goes to work with temptation. The other big area or time frame, I guess, or, or moment that most of us find ourselves weak is when we're lonely, is when we're lonely. We need other godly people around us. We need them. So when are you weak? Let me tell you something. Your enemy, Satan, knows the answers to these questions. You better know them. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to tempt you to say yes to sin. He wants to wreck your life. He wants to wreck your marriage. He wants to wreck your character. You better think twice about these decisions that you're making. You better consider the consequences. It could mean seeing your kid only once every other weekend. The consequences of sin are real, and they're heavy, and they're hard, and they're deadly. It can mean being addicted to a substance that will control your life and destroy you. If you're being tempted, and you are, you need to look forward to the result of that decision. You need to see what it's going to bring forth before you make your choice. So Terry and I used to live in, uh, we like to say Memphis, but it was actually West Memphis. Let's be honest, right? We lived in West Memphis, but uh, we enjoyed downtown Memphis uh, a lot. And there's a restaurant down there. It was like a Brazilian steakhouse. If you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, I highly recommend it. And if you're worried about going in there, not knowing what to do, invite me, pay for me, and I'll go with you and show you what to do, all right? So I'm about to give you a really good tip when it comes to going to a Brazilian steakhouse. And I'll never forget the first time we went. We signed up for the whole birthday anniversary thing. We got to buy one, get one. And, man, we rolled in there, and we were, you know, acting like we were somebody. And we sat down. And, man, all these dudes came out with meat on swords. But the meat on swords didn't come out until after you went around the salad bar that is also known as heaven. It's incredible. I mean, like you can feast on the salad bar. There's sushi, which I love. Maybe you don't. There's smoked salmon. There's lobster bisque. I mean, it's just, oh, my goodness. It's everywhere. It's wonderful. Cheese is from all kinds of places, and you're just piling it on. You're piling it on. Man, it's great. We're going to get our money's worth, man. You're over there. You know, you're going for it, right? You're going for it. And then the guys with the swords with the meat start coming around. First guy comes around, would you like Italian sausage? Well, yeah, that looks really good. Bring that on. And they give you a big old slap of, uh, slab of Italian sausage. And next guy comes around, he's like, would you like pork loin? Well, yeah, yeah. So they carve some off that pork loin. You're like, oh, man, this is getting good. Next guy comes around, would you like some chicken? Yeah, absolutely, I'll take some chicken. Put that on there. Next guy comes around, would you like some bacon-wrapped chicken? Yes and yes, I'll take two. And the next thing you know, you got this plate full of all this amazing meat. And you're devouring it. And you got this little card that you turn over red and green, kind of tells them when to come. Like old school Casa Bonita. You remember that? Like the flag? Oh, now we went there, didn't we? Yeah. Anyway, and so if you keep it on green, they keep coming. So you put it on red. You got this plate full, and you're eating. And you're like, man, we need a little break. You got to breathe a little bit. So you kind of, you know, relaxing, undoing the belt, whatever you do, you know. And anyway, you're like, "Let's let's go green again. And you go green again. And this guy comes up with his sword, and he says these two words. Filet mignon. 
Now, I don't know about you, but those two words are amazing words to me. And I'll never forget the first time we were there. We looked at each other and we were like, oh, no. I want that so bad. Yes. But we could hardly eat the piece of incredible, yummy, melt-in-your-mouth filet mignon because we had devoured all this. So here's what we learned. Next time we went, we said we're saying no to almost everything. We're getting like three items off the salad bar. We're saying no to bread, no filler. No filler, no filler, no filler. We're saying no to bread. And we were prepared. Italian sausage, no thank you. Pork loin, no thank you. Chicken, no thank you. Chicken wrapped in bacon, no thank you. Filet mignon, yes, yes, and yes. And when you get done, can you come back around? Do you see what happened in that moment? We considered what was greater, what was better, and we said no to all the other. And for some of you right now, they're coming around, they're saying, here's this, and here's that, and here's this, and here's that, and it's all wonderful, yummy, and good, and you need to have your eyes on something that is better. And his name is Jesus. And the reason why I say Jesus is better is not because that's a cool name with cool stories. The reason why I say Jesus is better is because Jesus died for every one of your sins. And he didn't stay dead, but he came back from the dead. And he truly loves you and is for you. He wants to bring you out of your sin right now. He wants to restore your relationships right now. He wants to rekindle your marriage. He wants to reconnect you with your kids. He wants to allow you to enjoy church fellowship and to worship him and to experience all the goodness and blessings and encouragement that comes with that. He wants you one day to spend eternity with him. And so today when that good, good name of Jesus, that good man named Jesus says, I want you to focus on me. I want you to say no to temptation by saying yes to me. He's saying hold out for something that is so much better, so much better. Again, when we say no to temptation, excuse me, we say no to temptation when we say yes to Jesus. So a couple questions to wrap this thing up with. They're not in your notes, but I'd encourage you to write them down and consider them, okay? Go to come on the screen for you. What do you need to say no to today? For some of you in the room, you're like, it's just glaringly obvious. It's right in front of you. You've been toying with it. You've been playing with it. You've been thinking about it. You've been considering it. You've been viewing it. You've been lingering on it. And it's just, it, the answer needs to be no. And you know the answer needs to be no, but you haven't said no yet. You're considering going the route of the desires of your flesh that bring death. What is it that you need to say no to today? I want to encourage you to answer that question and then follow it up by saying no to it. By saying no to it. And I'm telling you, the only way that you're going to successfully say no to it as a follower of Jesus is in the answer to this next question. What is it, where do you, I should say, where do you need to say yes to Jesus today? Where do you need to say yes to Jesus today? What is it that you need to say yes to Jesus so that you then in turn can say no to whatever it is? And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination going to try to like deduce Jesus to filet mignon. But what is it that he's got for you that you need to say no to something else that's very tempting, very alluring, and it's going to take you away from what he's got for you. What do you need to say yes to Jesus today? What's he telling you to do? I'm so proud of these folks who are going to be baptized today. They're taking a bold step of yes today, aren't they? It's amazing. Maybe that's the next step for you. 
Maybe it's faith for you. Maybe you're like just getting just pounded by the things of this world right now and you're wondering why you can't overcome and you're trying to do it without Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and you need to say yes to him and allow him to forgive you and to become your master. We want you to do that today. Maybe you've done that and and now you need to let everybody know that through baptism we want you to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe it's in generosity. Maybe it's in forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody in front of you right now in your life, and he's telling you right now what you need to do is tell them that you forgive them. Maybe you need to tell them that you're sorry and that you were wrong. What is it that Jesus wants you to say yes to today? Maybe it's loving your wife. Maybe that's what you need to say yes to today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say yes to Jesus by loving my wife. I know that's good and that's godly and that's what he wants me to do. And in so doing, no telling what you say no to in turn. Maybe, you know what? I'm going to say yes to my kids. They need me. I need to spend time with them. I need to give them my energy and my focus. I need to be with them. And in saying yes to that, there's no telling what you may be saying no to. What is it? Where is it that you need to say yes to Jesus today? I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. We can't go back and rewrite history. We can't go back and for Adam and Eve, change that whole thing. We're in the chaos that has ensued. But I'm here to tell you, every choice that we make to say yes to sin or to say yes to Jesus affects the chaos that we live in. And you can bring grace and healing and restoration into your world by consistently saying yes to Jesus. Satan hates you, wants to destroy you. God loves you deeply so much that he sent his one and only son. Say yes to him today.